Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am your Keyforge friend this week and every week, and I am joined by my co-host, the lovely SC Steele. What's going on, Sydney? Not much. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. We had a great little coming together in my ABR team, and we decided, let's get it. And it's uh, it's been a, a good week thus far as a result. Nice. How about you? How's everything going in the Keyforge world for you? So I have my ABR game tonight. Super excited. I actually, this week is going to be really cool because I haven't played low SAS decks in a long time. Um, mm. But I, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be fun. And uh, the, yeah, the team is great. We're we're all commiserating together. We're we're doing about the same amount of uh, wins and losses here, and and not not as many wins as losses. But uh, I think it's it's fun when we can all commiserate together. Oh, that's always, yeah, that's the great thing about being a part of a team. Right. Uh, speaking of team, uh, we are going to be Scuzzy Gruenless this evening. He is preparing for a trip and uh, did not want to bite off more than he could chew and put on a subpar episode. So he is not joining us today. It's just going to be myself and Sydney. And uh, I think we got a pretty cool topic to talk about. We snatched this one out of the Discord. And there was quite a lengthy discussion going on between Bigfoot and Ketzer, just uh, going on about what the archetypes are in Keyforge. And so we decided to take the conversation and kind of develop it for our own purposes. And Sydney, why don't you get into the nitty gritty about what we're exactly going to be focusing on with that? So I really think that um, uh, you actually, you mentioned this in, in our chat before the episode, an update to our previous archetypes episode, because we have a lot of new cards with mass mutation and uh, dark tidings since we, we've last had this conversation. And I feel like there are a lot more to add to this conversation because of that. The different um, creatures, the different houses, the a lot of the options are, are also different. And the mechanics, the new mechanics and everything, that changes so much that there might even be new archetypes that we can add to the scene. So I think that's that's the direction I'm hoping to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So for those of you who don't know, there there's like various ways you can categorize archetypes within Keyforge. But I think the main ones, and not getting into like too much of like subtypes in any way, is like you have rush decks, you have wide decks, which are like board-based decks, then you have the control deck, and then you also have which uh, I like to call the combo deck. And then I think this one has to be said, and it's going to be very relevant within the scope of what we're going to be talking about, Sydney, and maybe this is where we just launch off of, is the artifact decks. Yes. You know, I actually... Yeah, totally. I was thinking like, how has that has changed so much in the last two sets? Like, I think that actually is quite a different, like it is the same archetype where it's an artifact archetype, but the actual, like what that makes up, what that consists of has been so different in Mass Mutation and Dark Tidings. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think they, they created artifacts that caused there to be decks that now are sought after based on those artifacts. I mean, we saw it a little bit early on like i think speed sigil decks would fall into that i mean the the much hated heart of the forest decks re reverse time decks were really early but i feel like worlds collide was the introduction of some other artifacts that started being going around like transporter platform decks suddenly became a big thing and obsidian mm -hmm. forge decks 
those two. But I think the most exciting ones kind of started coming out in Mass Mutation and some as well in Dark Tidings. Maybe not, you know, like top tier decks within Dark Tidings, but they're definitely archetypes that people have to watch out for. They also bring the new mechanics. I feel like um, the one that comes to mind, it, it is Dark Tidings, but Whirlpool. So yeah, that's what I was player, thinking of. Right? At the end of each player's turn, that player gives control of the creature on their right flank to their opponent and moves it to the player's left flank. So that changes the game entirely. That makes what you're playing an entirely different situation. Like not only do you get to make the first choice of how that happens once you play that down, but if neither of you have any artifact control, your whole game is going to be entirely different. So there's just no way of of not making that a new archetype even though its contents is, is a mechanic that we really hadn't seen in a previous set. Yeah, and I mean, there's when we say, I feel like we should maybe define what we mean by an artifact archetype deck. It's not any artifact. It's an artifact that when it hits the board, your strategy of how you're playing the game will significantly change because of the impact that artifact is going to have on you personally, how you play the game. So a Whirlpool deck is not like it means, and this also means that not every deck that contains the artifact is going to be that archetype either. Would you agree with that, Sydney? Yeah, totally. I I think that there are a lot of times that they come into play, but because they're dealt with so quickly, or they simply don't have such an impact on that particular deck that they don't really like come to fruition in in the ar- archetype t- style. But there are decks that are completely built around specific artifacts. Yeah, like Whirlpool, for example, can be just a fun, you know, little merry-go-round type of thing. But if you suddenly have like the Saurian or Sanctum uh, cards that will allow you to to exalt or capture Ember, and then you can just play here now you take this creature with all the amber and then you destroy it next turn and that's now suddenly you are utilizing the whirlpool effect in a really strong way because now you're getting to abuse the artifact based on the cards within your deck to make your opponent have to kind of pivot in a way and try and deal with the effect that's happening and same thing as like a dav deck uh, when the yes. Dark Ember Vault decks come, like those are the ones where you can have a Dark Ember Vault in your deck, but you have four mutants, and therefore you right. have the archetype, but you don't have the the wheels to make it go. Yeah, there's lots of times where like the the amount of something you have in a deck really changes how well an artifact goes off because if you have a lot of something in a deck that has to do with the artifact, the artifact is much more likely to be sticky on the board. And um, another example of that is um, Amphora Captura. So mm-hmm. it, it enhances a ton itself. And well, it reads, when resolving a bonus icon, you can choose to resolve it as a capture bonus icon instead. But if you don't have a lot of other pips in your deck, then it's really, it's six pips aren't enough to make it an Amphora Captura deck. And yes. so the the fact that um, normal Amber Pips also count towards that might actually tip it in the direction of being an Amphora Capture a deck, but it's it's really dependent on how much you have otherwise. Yep, I would agree. So let's go back into some of the classics now if you have nothing more to say on artifacts. Totally. All right. So I think let's start at the top, Rush deck, because I feel like the quintessential Rush decks really came from early untamed and in in an extent they do exist within aoa but they were really in the early days and we haven't really seen it in that level since then but i feel in mass mutations and especially in dark tidings we really saw that that rush aspect come back 
I completely agree. I think that mass mutation adding so many pips really did like reinvigorate what Rush is. Yeah. And so Sydney and I had a discussion about this because in our Discord, we saw different versions of Rush, but both her and I were on the same page that Rush is you're generating Ember very quickly and consistently. And that's how it works. Or you have something when you call this house, you can go on a run where you're going to get such a huge advantage of gaining Ember so consistently that your opponent just can't deal with it. And it's like you gain six Ember, you pass turn, your opponent can't deal with it, you forge. The next turn, you can actually gain six Ember again. Like that's like a rush deck. When you're getting to the amount of Ember to forge three keys, like turn after turn, no matter what your opponent does, you always can just, you can just keep consistently going and generating Ember. That's how we both feel Rush is. Oh, completely. I would add that it's basically a solitaire game. Like a Rush deck doesn't really involve the other deck in any way, especially like if the other deck takes you off key that one turn, you're, you're likely going to be back on enough Amber to forge a key the next turn. So I think Rush is a, is a pretty consistently solitaire version of an archetype. Yes. And it came actually, I think in a couple ways, I think in, dark tidings it went back to the classic like coda way that untamed really did rush Mm -hmm. but with mass mutations i think rush became much more interesting it has more levels to it there was more things that had to be in place to make it really work and there was the fact that enhancements were so abundant in some cases it was utilized as a result for example wild bounty that card that in untamed allows you to double the pips that you're using on the next card you play. So whatever pips it had, you trigger them again. And there are some wild combinations that you can have with certain decks to really utilize that aspect of the rush factor. I think that another thing too is that Mass Mutation also came out with a a way to deal with rush a little bit more because it's so important to rush to have that six amber that you might be getting to six every time but if they're playing a capture pip or they are just capturing um the amber in in any way like getting you off by one off by one the rush deck might not be built to kill the creatures that are capturing this amber and so i think i think it made it a much bigger back and forth but while giving rush a lot more power it also kind of sprinkled in a little bit of anti-rush yes i would agree and the rush what like we said dark tidings is very straightforward mass mutations there were pieces that required to be there in order for the rush to truly take off in a really stellar way where it was just like whoa this reminds me of you know the old school rush but there are interesting things that came in terms of like actual specific cards that did the rush And they're almost like combo rush in a way, if you think about it. Like you Mm -hmm. have the Dark Harbingers, you have the Sins that could do crazy like burst rush aspects Mm -hmm. uh, within them that I found really fascinating. And then you also had the problem with, with Mass Mutation where the scaling Ember Control became so light that... Now this introduction of Rush within it and the ability to deal with it just kind of switched greatly, which was a really fun experience to have to figure out creative ways of dealing with stuff like that. I completely agree. I I think that um, that also actually bleeds a little bit into into Burst 
which I, I think is is very very similar, but um, is is a little bit more nuanced because I mm-hmm. I think a, the burst archetype is something that it happens very quickly and it happens to a lot of amber and it's getting maybe a lot of cards together to make it happen or you have suddenly gone from zero to sixty where rush I think is just a constant foot. The on consistency the gas is the difference, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think like, you know, it was a big one. I think that became available within mass mutations was the cleansing wave bursts. I yeah. think that became a really big thing in mass mutation. Totally. Um, all right. So should we move on to the next archetype now? Yeah. All right. Why don't you spearhead this one? So for um, the the wide or the the creature archetype, I, I think that it's the board slight, based, the board based, slightly self-explanatory, having a yep. lot of creatures out on the board. And I think mass mutation actually like had a, a return to this where not really a return where we hadn't had a lot of creatures on the board before. But I think the creatures came Enforce. There was just a lot of creatures on the board that did a lot of really good things together or were actually protected in a lot of ways. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, there's, there's, um, I think the reintroduction of Sanctum in that set really caused this shift because they came in as like true protectors in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they really led that charge. If you could have a big board with armor and it became problematic to deal with. And you could just reap out sometimes. And even to an extent I found in Mass Mutations and Dark Tidings for that matter, there became the shadow-based boards, where if you had an abundance of shadows creatures and you didn't have a board clear, they were extremely problematic to deal with because of the elusive factor. Mm-hmm. I think and, that... Oh, go ahead. And they also had like the mutant ones where when certain mutants had were on the board and certain conditions were met they you suddenly had creatures become elusive that weren't elusive to begin with and that really created an interesting proposition as well when you had to deal with the board control side of things and rolling up into dark tidings i think that there also was a huge factor of board in uh dark tidings as well because the the Tide brought in a whole new mechanic that a lot of creatures in dark tidings were able to manipulate so not only use but um turn either um toward you or away from you so i think that the fact that the creatures were so valuable in dark tidings meant that having a lot of them on the board meant that you were actually playing a really good unfathomable game and they also had a lot of creature manipulation like putting all of them down getting all of them up putting them back into your opponent's hands and that Mm -hmm. was just a really great way to have control of the board which is kind of a control deck but also a board deck if you knew how to control the board of the game yeah the only unfortunate thing about the dark tidings board game was that we did see the average creature count drop by a few and sometimes you got really low creature counts in dark tidings deck which is that's fine true. because i mean you don't want everything to be exactly the same and you just could get kind of used to the way it is and pivot as needed so that was kind of an interesting thing about Dark Tidings that was uh, needed to be dealt with. But the idea is with the creature archetypes is you establish that board, hopefully it's sticky, and you just keep calling a house over and over again until it's dealt with or go between two based on the number of creatures you have because you're just at such a huge advantage of utilizing your board for whatever is needed that you can control the game on to victory. 
Yeah, that's actually a good point. Speed really, really isn't important in an archetype house like that because you really don't need to get through your deck very quickly once you have a big nope. board. If they're yep. not getting rid of your creatures, then you're just sitting on whatever creatures you already have out. Yeah, it's true. So from there, we move on to the next archetype, which is the combo archetype. That's right. I think these are a lot of people's favorites. They want to go for the combo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, people love combo decks. I think it is... It's one of those ones that is a love-hate relationship, you know, because it when you have a combo deck, you usually have a few things that go off. And with Keyforge, a lot of Keyforge is combo-based just in general. But the way it works is it has the satisfaction, I think. Would, mm -hmm. would you say that's like the, the true thing about combo decks is when you can pull it off, it's so satisfying. Absolutely, because I think pulling it off is what makes a combo deck a combo deck. The fact that like I have combo decks that aren't good, but if I can actually get their combo to go off, it just feels so incredibly satisfying. There are so many different, especially in um, Dark Titans, there are so many different new combos that they included, uh, actions and creatures. I think that there were a lot of opportunities for this to be the shining archetype of a deck. Yes, I would agree with you. And the sequencing as well. That I think that is part of combo decks is there is a sequencing that must be adhered to to have maximum gain, maximum benefit. And that is the true test of a combo deck is how many ways can you do it? I mean, there's some there's some decks that exist that are just like a two-card combo, but there are other ones, and this really came out, like you said, in Dark Tidings, where it was a multi-card combo that would happen and just make really interesting decisions to exist within the game. And if you got the sequencing right, you could have a huge boon in your uh, Ember Pool or board state or game state, for that matter, based on what you were pulling off. I also think that something that complemented combo decks being a very large archetype in these two sets is that the mechanics actually got very they got very comboy they were on so many different cards that went together that it felt like these were combo decks when in general these mechanics just simply complemented each other when mm. a when a card allowed you to do something and then you put a creature down and that made use of it or especially in dark tidings with the tide being able to change the tide and then use the tide in the same turn like we think of that as a combo but really that was just the the mainstay of the dark tidings set yeah i would agree totally uh that's that's definitely the way that it can do just it's bonkers frankly and i think that's part of the reason why you don't see the sas scores reflect necessarily the potency of a deck because there is just too much going on to be processed and categorized that it just doesn't properly recognize some things more on this topic later um, <laughs> so let's go on to the next one which is the control game because the control game i think became very interesting when mass mutations and dark tidings came out because obviously you have mass mutations would you say it's like aside from coda would you say it was almost like the peak of control in a way because of some of the cards that existed I completely agree. So I yeah. I personally define control as just taking the ability to make choices away from your opponent. And so mm -hmm. like the 
quintessential control from Coda was Control the Week, where you chose what house they had to play. But there are so many cards in, um, well, in both Mass Mutation and Dark Tidings that just simply reduced the number of choices that your opponent had so that they really weren't able to make choices out of the full suite of things that they could do. So I think um, my favorite example of that, I am I'm currently looking for it. It is the creature, aha, chronophage. Uh, uh, it's yeah. the creature in Logos um, that says, it's in Dark Tidings, your opponent's creatures and artifacts gain Omega after they play that card and the current step. So the first time I ever saw that card, it was played against me and I I didn't do anything the rest of the game and not necessarily because I couldn't. I just, I my, my brain had to come up with all of the different ways I had to utilize what I already had on the board and which at that point he was focusing very hard on getting rid of the cards I had on the board because that was the only way I was going to get rid of his chronophage. So I think that mm. that card alone is a is a lockout, is a game stopper. Interesting, yeah. I, I think Dark Tidings also presented the interesting aspect of control in the sense that you're actually controlling what your opponent can choose to do with unfathomable being able to exhaust creatures because i've seen exhaust yes. decks where you can literally make it so it's like they may want to call that house but you just took it away by exhausting most of the creatures or you can even do like two houses if you have the right amount of of cards and synergies within the exhaust that you can make it so you're almost like forcing them into a house or having an inefficient turn with a house so they're just putting things out. And I find that so fascinating. I thought it was such an interesting shift from the way Dis used control mm -hmm. to how Unfathomable was using control. And I absolutely loved it. And I think it was not really received as greatly as it should have to begin with, but that's more because you didn't see the decks really shine. And I think that's also part of uh, a lot of things when you have new sets and new things operating is that it takes time to really see the truly powerful decks because every set has decks that do things in a very average way and it's less rare or it's more rare to come across the ones that are going to do it like the most effectively. So it takes time of the set being out and people opening decks to really see those upper echelon ones that execute those sort of ideas oh totally so do you think that these two new sets we, we've talked about art of archetypes that have actually been in existence since mm -hmm. coda so ways that yep. decks can run do you think that these two new sets created any new archetypes Did, does anything come to mind that the first couple of sets didn't have that now are on the scene because of mass mutation and dark tidings oh that's a tough one um I definitely think the Dark Tidings decks brought some new archetypes. I'm just trying to think of what they are. Um, I I actually think that Dark Tidings really put out there the idea of options or choices. So I don't know if that's really like an archetype, but it's something that we see in Dark Tidings for, for the first time in such a bold way. The, the cards that then, the flexibility of so many of the cards, I think may, maybe it... it fits itself into a, a versatile archetype rather than any one individual archetype. But the fact that so many cards actually give you the option that lets you benefit yourself in the best way possible, it's such a, it's a new feeling, even if it's not really a new archetype. No, I, I get that for sure. I, th I think you're completely right on that one. One archetype I think of is that 
could not have existed before Dark Tidings, and that's a Tide deck. So a deck that will almost never have to take chains and can manipulate the Tide. And this is the reason why I'll call this a a Tide archetype deck, that's a tongue twister, is because (laughs) you have the fact that maybe you have cards that once you have the Tide, it creates such a strong advantage for you that your opponent has to take chains no matter what set they're playing just to take away that advantage and if you can keep switching the tide back and not take chains then i think you have a huge advantage and and that's where i think that archetype can exist which could not existed before that's a really good one i have definitely been sitting on the other side of the table when like i'm sitting at nine Mm -hmm. chains already but if i if i don't take the tide every turn they either like have the game or their next key or whatever i totally that's a good one and it is it's one of those things that's more rare you don't see it commonly but they do exist out there and i think that's that's the truth with a lot of archetypes is you can get a version of it but it's the strength of the version you have that will really lend credence to what it wants to do and the effectiveness of it absolutely uh for mass mutations i i honestly can't think of one because obviously enhancements is the big thing that happened there so i mean there's ways where i don't know if i call it an archetype deck but i guess there's like the mega enhancement decks even are a thing where you just have so many enhancements that you can do wild things with creatures and they're so inconsistent because you don't know where they're going to be so no matter which one you open it can be all over the place like i hear people say oh yeah this has 27 pips and i'm not counting ember on this like Mm -hmm. that's pretty wild stat yeah i agree with you i think that the there there being pips on on cards kind of just really enhanced all the other archetypes that are out there because they they were mechanics that simply already existed so even though capture as a pip on a card never existed before capture the mechanic wasn't new and so people were able to deal with these decks and and cards the same way that they might have dealt with that same mechanic previously so i really feel that other than mini mechanics like maybe the the sins were a very very niche level of of no that really isn't an archetype either yeah i think that mass mutation might not have its own archetypes yeah yeah i think you're right i think we we saw the dark tidings really present something where new archetypes could emerge and that is through both a new house and also through a new mechanic that was uh, a constant within the game so that's really interesting i think in and in itself yeah totally is there any other ones we missed sydney i feel like we we rounded them out pretty good there I think that yeah, I really feel like they they had their own personalities in in the mm-hmm. newest sets in ways that you couldn't have imagined in previous sets, but also like still sticking to the same themes so that like they still feel the same. They're just cooler. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Like it's um it's evolved since they originally started and yeah. there's there's more to it than originally. I think they're simplified in the earlier sets and they've become more complex as time has gone on which is what you kind of want to see in a game totally all right well we can't end an episode without the titular segment we call this one help from future self Self. and i'll be leading the charge this week with a help from future self from this past week's abr which we seem to be pulling most of our <laughs> from future selves from this and mine is not actually about my gameplay but more so about what i learned within the format that was presented so this past week what the format was was called a sas cap and you basically had two decks you had to choose one was a 75 or lower the other one was 65 or lower and then it worked you worked in a survival way within 
a singular opponent. So you had to have one deck survive and beat the other opponent's two decks. That's how it worked. And I was like, this is great. 65, that's a perfect number because Dark Tidings has amazing decks in the 65 range that are not, I think, appropriately rated by SAS. I think that the cards are rated a little bit less. The synergies are less uh, known or are a little bit more complex because, as we mentioned, they work within two or three cards. So you don't really get to see the effect of it. And so I was rocking this Dark Tidings deck, and it was humming. It is one of my favorite Dark Tidings decks I own, 64 Sass. Had a little internal, my, my friend and I, all the Dark Tidings decks I opened in the first little bit. We kind of like drafted our top like 10. And this was like all the way into 70s down to like low 60s. And this deck beat out all the competition that I decided to use. And I just noticed that, yeah, you can find some really fun things. And one really fun card is uh, I noticed I had, that not very many people did choose Dark Tidings on my team or when I was practicing against other people randomly. And I asked them to choose two decks. And I found the card in Sanctum, Dry the River, is just absolutely crippling Ooh. for your opponent if they can't do the Tide. If you're not familiar with Dry the River, it basically says if you don't have the Tide, you can't reap. So when people aren't playing a like the Dark Tidings set, this is such a crippler for them because they're going to have to take chains every time they want to reap. And you can really use that to your advantage. So don't sleep on Dark Tidings, especially in a SAS cap. I think it will have the advantage in a SAS cap environment provided everyone's not bringing Dark Tidings. I like it. All right, so that's going to do it for this week. Uh, if you want to weigh in on your own thoughts about archetypes uh, you can go over onto our discord and there was already a conversation and we would love to hear if you think there's some archetypes that exist within mass mutation and dark tidings that maybe we didn't touch on or the evolution of archetypes within those sets we'd love to hear from you and you can always hit us on twitter at hffs podcast and as well as i said in our discord and there is a link in the show notes if you wish to join our discord and contribute to discussions on past episodes or even suggest topics for future episodes we had one where someone wanted us to have a contest where people draw what they think oh, we no. look like <laughs> and i was like i think our pictures are out there on social media so i'm pretty sure Somewhere. if you really wanted to you could find them um <laughs> i like that i thought that was pretty uh pretty funny so um with that being said sydney where can people find you online i am sc steel on tco and discord Perfect. Um, and just want to give a shout out to Awaldus, who was the one who suggested uh, how we look and we should have a, I guess, a drawing <laughs> contest of people out there. So if you, if you want to draw what you think we look like and you don't know what we look like, uh, feel free to submit those. We would love to see the hilarity that comes from that. Uh, if you wish to get in contact with me, you can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake as well as on Discord, Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. I'm taking a hiatus on doing Keyforge content until the new year. Going to be percolating some new ideas, but uh, appreciate everyone's support both on here and within YouTube. So thank you, everyone. And uh, as always, folks, stay forged.